we're so excited to have legendary costume designer Janie Tamim on the Vogue Screen podcast. Welcome, Janie. Welcome. So I guess uh, tell us how you first got into the role of costume design for film and television. When I decided to switch from, um, I was working in El Magazine, and then I decided to work, I always wanted to work for film, and I found an opportunity and I started in, uh, in film, and I went directly to the costume department because it is what I wanted to do. And also what I was, I mean, I was from fashion, so that was the, 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 the department to go. And I started like that, but a very long time ago. And that was uh, back in France. So you grew up yes. over there. And I think I read something that you were involved in the student revolutions that I guess, uh, were, you at, were you at, at Cannes when they sort of protested <laughs> over there? No, I wasn't in Cannes. I was not the revolution. That was uh, that was the film festival. I was really I was a student, so I was doing the revolution. I was not going in Cannes. I okay, got Because <laughs> I, I think I had I read something. Exactly yeah. the festival you meant when Truffaut said that he, you know, he wanted to do the revolution. Um, he wanted to stop the festival, but that was not. No, I was really in Paris on the barricade. I was because I was in the, the, the University of Nanterre, so we were all revolutionary. And so, so discussing your career a little bit, by the way, early, earlier on in your career, you did a film that I love so much, which is uh, gangster number one. And Oh, I'm happy that you love that film because I adore that film. I think it's a very, 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 very good film. And it was the first, the first big film of, uh, of Bethany, of Paul Bethany. That was a good example of uh, totally separately from talking to you the other day, like sometimes I think about films that I love and I was just thinking about the scene where Freddie Mae comes back from prison toward the end of the film, spoiler alert, um, and he's looking at Malcolm McDowell who's wearing that pendant on the tie that used to belong to him as a younger gangster. In the film, for people that don't know, it's about this younger gangster that's more ambitious and sort of duplicitous that really kind of screws over his boss, for lack of a better word, like to really become the top gangster and then sends his boss off to prison really. And then takes over his life, takes over his business operation, takes over his apartment. And then sort of the, the icing on the cake is this pendant that was given to him when he was younger and he was more loyal to his boss. And then just the way he looks at that and then his guilty feeling, like really just that moment in the scene is so elevated. And it's, it's, it's just an example where, like what he's wearing is is so part of the storytelling, so I thought that was yeah. really interesting. Very sharp tailoring. <laughs> yeah, it was. So yeah, I thought I thought that was really cool to see that in your resume, and you you've also worked with Alfonso Cuarón on a number of films. No, I'm working. I'm working now with him. Oh, excellent! Actually, working together now. Yeah. Wonderful, and so you've worked together with him on Gravity and on Children of Men, and then... On Harry Potter. On Harry Potter. Yeah. What's it like working with Alfonso Cuaron, first of all? Uh, difficult, but interesting. I mean, you know, you know when you, difficult, great directors are always difficult because they know what they want. And it's always... Uh, I think creativity is a, is a very sensitive uh, approach <laughs> to 
to anything. And then, um, but I love Alfonso unconditionally because he's a genius. And, I mean, he's certainly a visionary director. Oh, and amazing, amazing. And first of all, I appreciate your candor. Like, I appreciate the honesty because so many people are just sort of fluffy, like, oh, everything is great. Everything's amazing. But you're being honest that, hey, it could be difficult. But what, what I think, what I'm getting the sense that you mean is that he challenges people to be their best, right? Yeah, it's exactly that. It's not, it is a challenge. But it's a challenge for him as well. Everybody is challenged when you have to take decisions. And this decision, it's such, such a little fine line between um being great and being average very fine line and if you want to be great then you have to be difficult because you have to always look for something better than what's obvious and i think that that research for perfection for um something more than what's easy to get uh, I mean, when I go, I, it, it, it's never with working with Alfonso is 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 always looking for something else that's something obvious. For instance, uh, when I read the script and I see there are thirty extra in a scene in a cafe, could be easy, especially working with a young team. They said to me, "Oh, easy, thirty people in a cafe in London." I said, "No, it's never going to be easy." Because Alfonso is going to ask for something that you never saw before. Don't ask me what, I don't know. But we will know that at the moment. We have been shooting in Italy and every extra, 250 extra in, uh, in the middle of, uh, of a plaza. Uh, you know, each one of them had to be very different and very specific and very yeah it's a challenge but it's a very 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 interesting creatively challenge yeah, I, I like it I, I love it i love it nice and could you recall any specific challenges working on children of men every second was a challenge because it was shot in one shot so to get that shot one shot. I mean, the same thing now. The, working with Chivo Lebrowski is as difficult as working with Alfonso. So, you know, like, if you want to shoot a scene in one shot, you have to rehearse it for five hours. And then by the time that you rehearse it, the light is changing all the time. So you keep on changing the light. And then after six, seven hours, the, the, the shot is there. You rehearse it and, and you ask the actor, in Shannon of Men, to run around that body, to jump on glass and on mud and and on garbage, and then to fall down three times, and then to stand up, and then to run away. That's in one shot. It's a challenge. <laughs> we never got it together. And I tell you that the lovely actor was saying, look at this guy over there. He's already dead. He's lying down. He doesn't have to stand up and run. And on top of everything, I gave him flip-flop. I gave to my lovely actor flip-flop. And it's impossible to run with flip-flop. <laughs> Alfonso wanted flip-flop. So we had to sort of fix the flip-flop on his shoes. Don't, don't even ask me. And give him false shoes because of the broken glass. So he had false feet. He had false feet in those flip-flops, which were constantly falling apart and constantly flying away. That was a challenge. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I like what you did with Michael Caine's character too. In 
that film. That was Alfonso. I thought, okay, Michael Caine, an old man, retired. And he said, no, 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 it's an old hippie. Ah, it's an old hippie. That's not how I saw the character. I saw the character as an old man. No, it had to be an old hippie. And then, you know, you have the thing like, does he have an apron? Yes, he has an apron. Any sort of apron, Alfonso? No, that sort of apron. And then when you have that sort of apron, you have to do a special design. Then the design would be like 20 different design, and then it's never perfect, and then the color are not perfect, and then you have to print the apron, and then you have to break down the apron. And I mean, it's a, it's an old story. So, but I remember that Michael Caine was so happy to be a hippie that and nobody could recognize him. So we had a fitting in his house, and he ran to the door and he said, I'm going to ring my own bell and my wife will open the door and I bet you she won't recognize me. So we did that and his wife came to open the door and then she saw that guy, that old hippie with long hair and she said, who are you? What do you want? <laughs> that is amazing. Because he was... He was so, so happy. He said, you see, Evan, my wife didn't recognize me. It was a big thing. I think what's amazing about that is it's an example of when you see that character dressed the way he is, drinking tea or whatever, you, you immediately have a sense of who that character is in the film. Like, it has to do very little exposition of what his sort of deal is, you know? And I think yeah, that's yeah. that's pretty cool. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. How about on Gravity? I mean, that's, you know, like astronaut gravity, sort of stuff. Gravity, uh, I mean, it was so hard. It was so hard because we shot it first. We designed it first before we shot the reality, which means that I had to do a design projecting how the trouser will be, how the suit will look like on Clooney. So it was a bet. And then... The silhouette of Clooney in the suit had to be exactly the same than what I had designed and what we had done in animation. It was very difficult. And I am not even uh, talking about the 27 shade of white that, uh, that Chivo wanted because uh, it was never the right white for inside or outside. I mean, um, it was extremely... Everybody, I remember telling Sam Mendes, it was so difficult, Gravity, and he said, oh, come on, two costumes. I said, what? <laughs> you must be joking. There were thousands of those suits. No, not thousands, but at least there were, there were dozens of those suits, all different, with the different strengths and different, oh, different, oh. it was extremely difficult. And, and also, because you're seeing so much of that character in the outfit, then even it's, it, I would imagine that even that much more attention to detail has to be placed because so much. Yeah. Yeah. It was all, all, all crazy details that I invented because the suit never looked like that. First, they don't fit like that. So, Bond, they are, they are never, especially the Russian suit, never open in the middle. And they never look so sexy. They all look like Teletubby in their suit. And I make her looking like, you know, a, a sexy woman and that was in itself something great but you know what i got i got um uh, i had an interview with the 
I don't know the Nasdaq Chronicle. I don't know one of those new one of those magazines which I never ever ever read, which they read there. <laughs> and then they were quite interested. They said, "Oh, the suit looked really good. That was so clever what you did with that opening on the side and that pocket." I thought, "What? That was purely aesthetic." And they thought it was quite clever. So I was, you know, I might have a career. I never know another career. That's pretty cool. So I have a great respect for what you do. My, my sister is, um, who's younger than me, she's about 10 years younger than me. She's involved in costume design. She works on the HBO show Succession, where she, she's a costume oh, shopper I- for that show and works for the costume designer. And, and now she's actually working on an indie film as the lead costume designer. And I see just the amount of research and like effort that she puts into it and idea nobody realizes how difficult it is but it's getting more and more difficult because people are taking our job on the on the much more um, um, serious way and I don't know I mean um, also the the star system is different before you were dressing three stars and then the rest uh, just had to be as long as they were as long as they were dressed up everything was happy. Now we have visual effects are putting a lot of technicity in what we are doing. And also, well, um, the, the competition is huge and every studio try to do something better. And I think that uh, the, the fact that uh, the staff system is different, you have now much more many actors and less big stars. And the realism, also the, the, the cinema is much more realistic than it was. Um, everything makes it, I think, I think the technique of cinema, the new technique of cinema makes our job more difficult. Absolutely. So you, you worked on all the Harry Potter films and worked with um, production designer Stuart Craig. Now, yes. in, in general, for audiences that are not so familiar with the process, what's the what's the working relationship between, like, typically between a costumer and the production designer? Well, it's it's not actually that big. We work parallel. We make sure that we don't. Uh, well, they make their decor. They show me what they do. Um, they and. I try, we try to talk about colors, try to have, talk about the direction of costume. We make sure that uh, it match and then it complete uh, each other job. But we cannot really say that we work together hand in hand, no. But we, we do, we, coll- we collaborate, but you collaborate with everything, um, with every single department. Yeah. So, but our collaboration is is close, but maybe not as close as it could be in theater, for instance. Okay, that makes sense. I I think I understand. Um, and one one of the reason is that they start the decor before sometimes the casting is done. Sometimes what? they don't even going to wear the costume, so you know, and then they have to start building. But that's a, that's. A, that's a sort of an answer. What sort of challenges was it as that series evolved over the years as far as, I mean, the characters were getting older, you know, the storylines yeah. were changing. In the beginning, they were very happy to wear what you were giving them. And then they became teenager. And then they became older. And then they became 
more aware of what they were wearing and that there were a lot more discussion about uh, it was not like a thanks mom and bomb putting it on it wasn't why and how especially the girls especially that the girls were all starting they were becoming stars and i, I remember going into um, um lovely little hermani emma Emma's uh, 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 dressing room, and it was her birthday, her 18th birthday, and they were packed from every single designer and couture house. And then I was, you know, with my Max Spencer jean that I had to put on her because that was the part. And yeah, it was difficult because she knew she would, you know, she was she was dressed up by Carl Lagerfeld, and you had to bring your clothes off Hermione. And that was a little bit uh, sometimes uh, a problem, but they were they were very good in general. They were very good. They were always they they, they were so much into their part, and they were helping me a lot, especially especially uh, Ron. You know the the, the 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 actor playing Ron, who always had to look so bad, poor kid. Always wearing the worst, the, the hand uh, knitted T-shirt and, and 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 sweater, and then and he was always winning because uh, every time I was looking at him and I had to laugh because you know when you are when you are 15, 16, you just want to look cool and you want to be uh, to seduce the other teenager on the set, and he was always wearing trousers too short and jacket because his mom is supposed to make his clothes. So that was that was uh, it was a good sport. It was a really good sport, <laughs> boy. That's pretty cool. And is uh, by the way, I love the outfits of Bellatrix, of Lestrange. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Ah, but it, it was a pleasure to dress her. Because she she started. She came the first time I met her. She said to me, "Look, I'm playing a badgie, and the badgie. Everybody loves a badgie, and I will always remember that. Everybody loves a badgie." Because I remember that when I was doing the, the, the James Bond, thinking, yeah, people love the badges. They actually, they want to be. They, they, this is what, we don't like the good guy, you know. The good guys are boys, but the badges. And then she was so happy to play that part. And she gave to that part the maximum. And creating costume for her was a, a constant joy because she was leaving them 200%. That's pretty cool. And so you you worked on the 007 film Skyfall, Inspector. That's a big deal. What was it like just, you know, getting the news of landing? For me, it was a dream. For me, yeah. it was a dream. I, I really, because I love, I love, I love James Bond. Always. I always love James Bond. And uh, I knew Daniel Gregg. I had done a small project with him. And I was extremely happy to work with Sam Mendes, which I had met on the set of Harry Potter because he came with the kids to see to see us. So I had met him, and so it was it it was all all coming together. It was a great experience and a great shoot and great memories. Um, a few weeks ago, we went to see Spectre. You know, we were invited to see Spectre in um, in the Albert Hall, in the Royal Albert Hall in London because they had the orchestra, they had the Philharmonic Orchestra playing the music live, and it is incredible. And all the crew of Spectre was there, of the head of the department were there, invited by E.O.N., which is the wonderful company to work with, because they, they treat you like a family, you know, they have this old-fashioned 
producer touch as you are their family and we thank you to work for them so they are always magnificent and in their reception and we had that reunion that spectre reunion and it was incredible it was fantastic and such a joy to see it back yeah and and such a famous film franchise that's particularly known for its costumes and like the way James Bond dresses over the years, you know, the different characters. Was there any significant changes in yeah, the Bond yeah. character between Skyfall and Spectre? Between Skyfall and Spectre, not so much. Well, just that he had to be, he had to be uh, an Italian gangster at a certain moment. So we had to be dressed differently. Um, and well, he had more situation. Skyfall is just James Bond, while on Spectre, he's going to different country, he's incognito, he's taking, um, he's traveling. So his costume had more range than, than on Skyfall. Well, the style of his suit stayed the same. I think uh, after 2012, after Skyfall came out, I think that's probably when I started wearing pocket squares with my own suits. You're not, <laughs> not the only one. I, I heard from Tom Ford, I think that they sold my 20,000 dark blue tuxedo and everybody wanted to get married in a dark blue tuxedo. Um, and actually, even uh, uh, um, Davista, you know, the actor, he got married after Skyfall and asked me to make for him a dark blue tuxedo. They were, they were, they were completely. They, they were. That was a, that was a great. Uh, but he was looking extremely beautiful in his dark blue tuxedo. I remember looking at him when we were on that lake in in um, in um, in the studio in Pinewood, and I saw him arriving on that boat in that dark blue tuxedo with the light and all this, you know, the long term of that lake. And I thought, oh, I could cry. It was so beautiful. And then I had to go back home after that, and it was night, and I was so high that I completely speed up on the <laughs> on the highway, and I got three points on my driving license. Oh my and gosh! That was, that was just the excitement of seeing Daniel Craig in his dark blue tuxedo. Yeah, that's pretty cool. And what about costuming the Bond women? And... Oh, they just. Um, I always had a fascination for the Bond woman because they keep on having sex with him and they know that they will die after that, but they keep on doing it. <laughs> Not one of them ever say no. But um, but Leah survived, so, you know, um, it, it, it's great. The whole thing is great. Uh, we had, uh, I had, I had, some, I had lots of different style of girl and each one of them, um, I created, I think I created, I, I think I did well because I looked at it again and I liked it. Usually I hate when I'm doing females like that. So no, you did great. It's very iconic, very visual. I think something is hitting the microphone, by the way. Um. I think something might be hitting your microphone. I hear some. Oh, okay. okay. It's me. I was touching a cough on my, on my desk. Oh. Oh, amazing. <laughs> um, so what, what, what was it like working with Sam Mendes? Great. Wonderful. He's a wonderful man. He's very nice. He is very, very gentle, intelligent, funny. It's wonderful. He's a great He's director. Wonderful. 
Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I love it. I mean, I wish I could do it again. I, I love it. I love working with Sam. He's such a nice, he's a nice person and a very, very intelligent man. By the way, the other night, switching gears now, I was watching uh, Black Widow with my wife, and it was, it was cool to see your name come up on the opening credits that you, and I, and I know you yeah, were the costume designer on that film. Yeah, I did that. I like, I like working with um, Scarlett. She's such a, 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 an incredible force de la nature, Scarlett. She is amazing. She has the, the dynamics, the power, the sympathy, the love. I love her. I love her. I love her. It was very nice to work with her and to discover Florence Pugh, who came in the film. Also fantastic, yeah. So beautiful and amazing actress. It, it's funny. So I was thinking about that because I know that there's some people that kind of, um, I mean, people love Marvel films, but then there's some f other filmmakers that kind of, you know, famously make remarks about far Marvel films like, oh, that's, you know, those aren't real cinema. But I was watching Black Widow and I was watching those scenes with Scarlett Johansson and, and in the beginning of the film when you just see her facial expressions in it, like a good actor, you could, they don't even have to say anything. You could almost feel what they're thinking. And that is very cinematic. One of the reasons I did Black Widow is because it was Kate, the, the, the director Kate, she had done that film, Lore, that I adore. And she's one of the reasons that I did um, the film. Because uh, uh, I, I, I was not, I mean, it was my first Marvel film and it's such a far away universe for me because I'm really coming from from European cinema. I mean, I like cinema, I like acting, I like, I don't know, Marvel was a little bit far away from me, but she said to me, no, I want to do an indie film in the Marvel cinema, in the Marvel universe. And I think she, she did that. And the way she directed the actress was um, a little bit the same approach, I think, that uh, Sam Mendes took with Bond. You take a superhero and and you make a man or a woman out of it, you know, and that's quite that require um, that sort of director. Absolutely, because uh, I was thinking that uh, definitely in the direction of the film, there was there was a lot of moments that had nuance for the characters that you don't see in certain action films of modern yeah. times. And that's so important because you have to care about the characters, right? And that's the... It's also uh, what's behind. What's behind the superhero? Why is he a superhero? Why, does you, why do you become a superhero? Whatever it is, Harry Potter, James Bond, or Black Widow, you know? I, I mean, every single superhero I did were, thanks God, with director who was were wondering uh, what's the human size. Why? Why do they become superhero? And what's going to be wrong? Yeah. Who is going wrong? wrong. <laughs> Somehow. So, so the way the way I approach film as a filmmaker, I always feel like cinema and filmmaking ties into the subconscious a lot. There's a lot of things that an audience interprets consciously, and there's a lot of things that they're sort of taking in subconsciously that they might not articulate if about what they might have liked about the film, you know, but it's almost like a hypnotic experience. And I feel like the yeah. costumes 
really are integral to dictating, well, who is this character? Like, what's the deal with this character? Especially if you were given very little time to find out about that person. It gives a lot of exposition to a, a key of who they might be or who they're trying to tell the world that they are. Absolutely. 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 It's a very complex job what we do. And that's why the relationship with the director is so close. I really feel that I work, you were asking about the Prussian designer, and I think that I work much more with the director than with the Prussian designer. A prisoner can tell me, this is what I'm doing, and this is the colors, fine. But the character that you dress, I always said to, always said to Prussian designer, you're lucky because your furniture don't talk. I work with actors who talk. We have this, you know, I mean, I think it's wonderful to just buy a bed. You put a bed there, the bed is happy. <laughs> but, you know, you can you can give to a, to an actor. I mean, I just, I work now with Kate Blanchett and, and she's such an amazing actress, but every single thing that you give her has to have a reason and she has to be able to work with it and to become the person that she has to be in the part. And then you have to follow that and understand that. It is, it is, it is subtle. It is subtle and very difficult. And that's why I think that the relationship with the director is the closest that you have on the set. Absolutely. And so you're working on House of the Dragon and... Of course, that's, you know, a spinoff of Game of Thrones, and that's that's a really big, important franchise at that, at this yeah. point. So I, I did the first season. I, I'm not going to do the second season because I'm working with Alfonso now, and I cannot do the second season. But, um, yes, I did the first season with, with, with pleasure. It was, uh, it was lovely to work with Miguel, Miguel and Ryan, two great showrunners, um, very intelligent man, very sensitive man, and we work together brilliantly. Uh, I, I loved it. I loved it. I loved to establish the character, to establish the style, to establish the costume, and I'm very happy of what, um, what, how it became, what it became. And was how was it taking the costume beyond? What audiences already saw in Game of Thrones? What was that sort of like? Oh, I didn't. I, I completely. I thought. We're lucky we have 200 years before, so it's a different thing. I like it, yeah. Uh, it, it was not even a question. Because we were, it's a prequel. It has to be different. And I, I always think that if you want to captivate, that was the same thing with Harry Potter, with the, with the, when I took Harry Potter in the, in the third episode, uh, I, I wanted to change the style. Because you have to give to the public a new optic. And when I took uh, James Bond the same, I wanted to change the style also. Change of director, change of style. When we started House of the Dragon, we were not doing Game of Thrones. We were doing House of the Dragon. It was 200 years before. It was a different story, different showrunner. No, it was different. Nice. And um, I, had, uh, I had no problem with that at all. What's it like working with different directors? Because every director has such a different style. Yeah, but the 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 showrunner, whatever. It's it's a, you know, it was my first television. Actually, I never did television before, and they explained me, and which I didn't know, that the showrunner were actually the sort of 
super directors. So the showrunner, you work with the showrunners like you work with a director actually, and the director come after and they direct their own beat. Uh, and each one of them, of course, they will ask you uh, things which are related to the specific uh, uh, episode that they will shoot. And of course you have to listen to what they want, but basically the initial style we worked it out, um, the showrunner, Miguel Ryan and I, together before I ever met the other director. So the costume were almost uh, done when they, when each one of them arrived. And of course you have to, to change a few things and to, to adapt a few things, but basically the, the style was given. Like now, the style of the series is given. Uh, this is, it's established. I guess, yeah, I, I meant on a broader level, yeah, which I appreciate the explanation about the showrunners because I, I know a lot less about television, the, the intricacies yeah. of how that works versus film. It was, it, was very, it was very surprising for me, but I was lucky because the showrunner was the director of the first episode. So we started with this episode. So, so, but after that, when the other, when the other uh, director arrived, there was no problem because the costume were already established. The characters, every character was already established and they accept that. It's a, it's a different way of working. How about in general, working with different film directors on different film projects? Like how would you, just dealing with different styles of directors in general, how is that? But you know what? At a certain moment, when they choose you, it's not only because you are available, it's because they like what you do. So it's sort of work in with their personality and their style. So uh, they choose you for who you are. And well, you just have to not disappoint them. But after at, at, after at my age, at my level, uh, at my level of uh, in my career, they, they, they know what I can bring, I suppose, and they know what style I have, and they choose me for that. And then, and then it, I mean, I'm, of course, they are personality. Uh, it's also a question of personality. They are personality with whom I get along better than other one. You think some, but, some have just more of a, a specific vision about the costumes, like that they get more involved? All in, of them, yeah. all of them. The, the, the difference is that some people can express it and some people cannot express it. That's what makes a difference. They all actually, they all know what they want, but at which level, that's what makes it very difficult because some of them can explain you and tell you very much what, um, what they want. Another one, they have to see uh, your suggestion and analyze your suggestion and sleep on them and then they make up their mind. Sometimes you have to show things just to help them to think about what they want. That does, but that doesn't mean that they don't have already an idea, but they sometimes cannot express it, which is a different thing. Actually, I really appreciate that explanation. That's pretty, that makes perfect sense. So I guess, how, how big of a team do you typically work with? Like, what's your department like? Well, it depends what. Depends on. Now, now 
um, we are going to do the the, the additional in January, February additional shooting for Alfonso Sere. And we are going to be like, what, uh, 20? But when we started the series, we were almost between, I don't know, 75, something like that. And that's a model more, around 100. But I mean, on, on, the, on House of the Dragon, we were like 200, 250. Depends, depends if you, depends of the of the of the job of the period if you are making the costume if you are hiring the costume depends of the budget depends of a lot of things so there are 250 people in the costume department in total on yes but wow. we had the we had the armor makers we had the armor makers we had the breaking down we had every costume was made that's incredible was made yeah 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 so that was that was a lot was we, that the we, biggest we, we, biggest sort of team that you supervised yeah. Harry Potter was also very big, but uh, no, it was not the biggest that I ever had. Uh, it was it was big, but it was normal because we decided it was the first season. I guess as far as the departments that you manage, like when you're dealing with like a large sort of crowd scene, like there's many many people in the scene. Oh well, well everybody is doing a different job. I, I have um, first you have lots of people doing projection. And those ones, you know, that there are people organizing and the, and the finance and the thing. And the, uh, I mean, you have like uh, five, four, four to five people just doing the office work. Then, um, then I have um, my assistants, which are two or three. I have very few assistants. Then you have a department which is doing the class. And they, they, they are between, uh, I don't know, they are between 10 and 30, depending how big the job is. And and then you have uh, the buyers, and then you have the people making clothes, and that's the people making the costumes. And, and that is different. You have, uh, we had four, you have the cutter, the seamstress, the embroiderer, the, it depends on the job. It can go on forever. It depends how many, what you have to do, and how many costumes they have to be made. And, you can have two, three cutters, you can have one cutter, you can have, uh, depending, depending. So that's how the crew big, but the, the, the crew is big depending of the job. And um, it can go from 50 to 250. And, um, but they, they very specialized. So actually the, the people, it's like a pyramid, you know, the people I have to deal with, there are two or three assistants, the rest uh, um, is very delegated. And in general, what's sort of like the research process like, especially if you're working on like a period piece, like gangster number one, would you go and look at photos of like known gangsters, yes. like the Cray yes. twins, like what were they wearing and or that kind of thing from the 1960s? Um, I did lots of research about London. London in the 70s, London now, I mean, the gangster of East End, they were very well-dressed, very, very well-dressed, because what they were, they were just showing off all the time. They were, what they were wearing and how they were wearing was their wealth. They had no other identity than their look. So it was very important. So that's how I went into into tailoring and handmade suits and jewelry for men. They were really peacock. 
guys first. They were really showing off. Yeah, actually, I like how you articulate that. Yeah, I, I like how you articulate that because that really ties into, you know, what motivates these characters, you know, and somebody that's a gangster and somebody that's a supreme narcissist, how do they project themselves to the world, for example, you know? Yes, 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 yes. What's next that you're working on that you could talk about? It seems like you're working on a project with Alfonso Cuaron. I'm finishing, I'm finishing Alfonso and uh, in January, February, and after that, I don't know. The, the world is the limit, you know? <laughs> I don't know. We'll see. And in general, Janine, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I really love talking to you and everything that you had to share about your experiences being a legendary costume designer. Okay, my love. So I wish you all a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year and then uh, a very good... Thank you.